0: Let's open our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 1. And let me give you a little background before we dive into chapter 1 here. Uh, This morning we begin a brand new book of Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel would have been a contemporary. In other words, he lived during the same period of time as Jeremiah. Jeremiah now is going to be in Jerusalem. Ezekiel is with the captives up in Babylon. Daniel would be living at the same time. He's also in Babylon as sort of a prime minister, chief administrator next to Nebuchadnezzar. And Ezekiel's primary calling was to encourage, reprove the captives who are in Babylon that they were going to stay there for 70 years now. There were false prophets that were saying, don't worry about a thing. Um, Jerusalem had not yet been totally destroyed. So the false prophets were telling the people, we're going home. Don't worry about a thing. Ezekiel contradicted um, the false prophets by saying, you better settle in because for the next 70 years, you aren't going anywhere. And as we finished just finished the book of Jeremiah. We know that's exactly what happened. They were 70 years in cap- captivity. So, the way the book starts is like none other. Um, Ezekiel is called the Son of Man exactly 100 times. Not 101, not 99, but exactly 100 times. He is called the Son of Man. Of course, the Lord Himself is the only other one who referred to Himself as the Son of Man. Now, as we dive in this this morning, I'd like to divide this study into four different sections. We'll look at chapter one by itself, the four living cherubim or the creatures. Um, That'll be number one. If you're taking notes, number two will be what the creator of all things, what is he really concerned about? What is he really interested in? That'll be number two. Number three, with his concerns, how is he going to accomplish his purposes, his will? And the answer to that is by using human instruments like me, just like you, um, that have to be equipped. And that's one of the reasons we're here this morning is to get better equipped so that we can uh, be more effective as we share with people this book. And number four, what is the result of seeing the throne of the living God. what What is the natural response as we're, we'll be studying this morning? So with that division of our study this morning, let's go to ch- verse 4 of chapter 1, and we'll read through 14. And we have here the four living creatures. Verse 4. Then I look and behold... A whirlwind was coming out of the north. A great cloud was with raging fire engulfing itself. And brightness was all around it, radiating out at its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. And also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance they had the likeness of a man. Each one had four wings, each one had four faces. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze, and they had hands of a man under their wings, on their four sides, and each of the four had faces, four faces and wings. Uh, Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. And as for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man, each of the four had the face of a lion, on the right side of of the four had the face of an ox, on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. And thus were the faces. Their wings were stretched upward, two wings of each one touched one another, and with two they covered their bodies. And each one, "...went straight forward, and they went wherever the Spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of torches. Fire was going back and forth among the four living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth an appearance like the flashing of lightning. Wow. So with um, this first explanation of the fur, they're called zoa in Revelation chapter 4, and that's where I'm going to have you turn next. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We find them also described in chapter 4, I know I say this often, but that's how we learn, right? Repetition. The book of Revelation is divided into three parts. Um, Chapter 1, verse 19 gives you the division of the book. John, write the things you've seen, chapter 1. Write the things that are, chapters 2 and 3. And write the things that will be hereafter. um, That would be number 3. And that's beginning with chapter 4. This would be write the things that will be hereafter. After. After what? After the things of the church. So, um, in verse 1, John is taken to heaven. And after these things I look, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven... And one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper, a sardis stone in appearance. And it was a rainbow around the throne in appearance, and it was like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thunders, And voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne that are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were the four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature was like a calf. And the third living creature had the face of a man, and the fourth living creature had the face of a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes round and within. They did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders would fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever. And they would cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist, And they were created. Let's turn from here to Ezekiel chapter 10. And what we're trying to do here is dispel. Sometimes when we have a Bible study, you'll find a contradiction. Only to find out it's not a contradiction, but just probably added information. Such is the case here because as we do a parallel study from Ezekiel 1 to Revelation 4, and then we read the same creatures in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, verse 14. Instead of an ox, we have the face of a cherub. So we say, which is it? Is it an ox or is it a cherub? Let's, let's read it. Verse 14, chapter 10. Now, each one of these creatures or cherubim, each one had four faces. The first face was like a face of a cherubim. And the second, the face of a man, and the third, the face of a lion, and the fourth, the face of an eagle. And you say, okay, Dwight, which is it? Is it a cherub, or is it an ox? Um, I commissioned Mary so that I could keep going. I said, I want you to do a word study on Ezekiel 1.10, Revelation 4.7, and Ezekiel 10.14. And this is what we came up with. There is no contradiction at all between the three passages. But when you dig a little bit and do a word study, um, if you look at what it says here in Ezekiel 10, verse 14, it said cherub that had a face resembling an ox. And the literal wording there was the face of a cherub that had a face like an ox. And... um, That dispels the mystery of why there's a cherub instead of an ox in chapter 10. So we have um, this in chapter 1, chapter 10, and then in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Um, After the cherubim, they seem to be eternally connected, yet set apart from what's called the wheels. Now, for that, you need to turn back to chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. I've read, um, you know, the the articles about the flying saucers in Ezekiel. (laughs) And... um, They say because it resembles a wheel in a wheel that it's actually talking about flying saucers. and This is where the Bible talks about flying saucers. This is not a flying saucer. (laughs) These are part, they're living beings that are connected. We're going to read that the spirit of these creatures actually are in the wheel. And I can't even begin to describe this because we are talking um, multidimensionalism here. Because we go, we have these creatures moving all straight forward at the same time. And we have to have multi-directions to be able to pull that off. How fast are they moving? At the speed of the lightning. So every time there was a thunder and lightning, these things are flashing back and forth, multi-dimension. And with them, as we're going to read now, with these four creatures, we don't find them talked about in Revelation. This is the only place in Ezekiel that talks about the four wheels. Let's pick it up in verse 15. Now I looked at the living creatures. Behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. And the appearance of the wheels and their works was like the color of barrel. And all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their works were as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they went, they went toward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. And as for their rims, oh, they were so high. They were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them, like the cherubim with the four faces were covered with eyes in and without. And when the living creature went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creature was lifted up from the earth, well, the wheels were lifted up. And wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went. Because there the Spirit went and the wheels were lifted together with them, for the Spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them. For the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheel. How awesome is that? Trying to describe this. And then the noises and what's not mentioned here, but it's mentioned in Revelation with all this going on, back and forth, the lightning. Also, they're continually saying, holy, holy, holy. They don't rest day or night. Declaring the holiness of our God is an awesome God. And um, this is just his entourage, basically. Now, in verses 22 to 25, we read in Revelation when John saw the throne, he saw, uh, he said it was a sea of crystal. And it was just an expansion that just went out. And now, Ezekiel is going to add detail to the, what's called the firmament here. <clears throat> he said, the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of awesome crystal uh, stretched out over the heads. And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, one towards the other. Each one had two, which one with, covered one side, and each one with two covered the other side of the body. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings and the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, atonement, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And a voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. The throne of God is um, uh, interacting with these four living creatures. And it is just plain mind-boggling. Elisha was surrounded by his enemies. And um, his water boy came in and said, Master, Master, our enemies got us completely surrounded. And Elisha wasn't really worried about it. He said, Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd open up my servant's eyes. And he answered the prayer, and all of a sudden he could see into the spiritual realm. And it says, And lo and behold, you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire? This is where it comes from. It says, Chariots of fire surrounded Elisha all around. My point in saying that is, at this moment right now, um, as we're going to study a little bit later with Stephen, when Stephen was getting stoned, and he wasn't getting high, he was just getting killed, <laughs> that when that was happening, the Lord opened his eyes. And he says, look, and I got it down in my notes, I had, to, and I want to know if anybody else looked at that time. He says, look, I see the heavens open, and what we're reading here this morning, the first martyr, Stephen, actually saw the exact same thing that Ezekiel saw and the exact same thing that John saw in Revelation. And if the Lord wanted to, he, he could let us see into the spiritual realm. I think it would freak us out so much (laughs) that we would be undone. Um, We have to have our glorified bodies to see God. Do you know that? Because he says no man can see God and live. You'd be toast, just like that. And so we have to have our bodies, our resurrected bodies, actually to stand in the presence of God. But you're going to. And that's how we're going to close our study this morning, showing that we are actually going to be in in this scene someday. All right, well, here's our, here's our cornerstone that we're going to build on this morning. But I want to make it practical with looking at um, this. It's so overwhelming to try to teach on it because you just can't do it any justice. Who can, what human is adequate to put this into a reality? But having said that, um, number two is, what is the creator of the universe interested in? Here he is being worshipped by the angelic realm, the highest order of the cherubim, continually declaring his holiness before the world. What's he thinking about? What's on his mind? What's he concerned about? And to answer that, I'd like you to look at chapter 3, because as we read in Psalm 17 this morning, let me dig it back up. What's he interested in? Verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me under the shadow of your wings. This verse here tells me that what he's concerned about is that he wants you to know that you are the object of his affection. That of all the things that he could entertain himself with or do, he seems to be enamored with you. As David said in Psalm 139, Oh, Lord, how many times do you think of me during the day? If I'd count them, they would be more than the sea. And I take that literally. What is he thinking about? You. And what are we thinking about? Well, that's the problem with the book of Ezekiel. The people had turned away from their God, this great God described here, and they got caught up in worshiping trinkets, Truffles, cotton candy, no substance. And here you have this awesome God who's trying to get our attention, and he wants to speak to us. Uh, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know there's a God in heaven who's this awesome. He created all those animals you just saw. Calls calls the stars by name. He knows everything you've ever said, did, or will say, or will do. And he loves you anyway. Isn't that good news? And he loves me anyway. Now, the natural response, when you see that he demonstrated this love in a way that that we honor war heroes for, that fall on a grenade, we call him a hero. Why? Because they took a bullet for you, that's why. He, He thought more of you than himself. Well, that's what our Lord did to demonstrate his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he wants you to know that. So that as we, the object lesson here with Ezekiel, is the people had gotten so away from their God, and he's sending now a man to try to shake him up, to try to wake them up, telling them there's nothing in this world that's going to satisfy your soul except me. And man can't live by bread alone. Except um, you eat of that bread, you will hunger again. He said, he who drinks a meal will never be thirsty again. And yet, um, this people was hard-hearted, indifferent, and um, far away from their God. All right, let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He says, Son of man... Eat what you find, eat this scroll, and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said, Son of man, feed your belly, fill your stomach. With this scroll I give you. So I ate it. It was in my mouth like honey. It was sweet. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent... To a people of unfamiliar speech or of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Uh, Not to many people of unfamiliar speech or of a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely I have sent you to them that they should listen to you. So God is going to, through Ezekiel, express his love to them pleading with them to stop worshiping idols and to return to the true and living God. And how he's going to accomplish that is by a human instrument who's called the prophet Ezekiel. Now, as I think about that for you and I today, um, what does the Lord want us to know? A lot of people have such a wrong idea about the Lord and his love. Every time something bad happens, um, people actually get angry with the Lord. if, If God is a God of love, then why? And the answer to that is God is a God of love, and yet we live in a fallen world, and the God of this world happens to be called one Lucifer, son of the morning. And he is the God of this world, and that's why there's sickness, and that's why there's disease, and that's why there's car accidents, and that's why there's earthquakes, and that's why there's a hurricane off the shore of South Carolina right now named Matthew. And um, when he sets up his throne, all of these things will be gone forever. Good place for an amen. So um, what he is asking us to do right now is to be, to know what his will for your life is. I want to know what God's will is for my life. And the first thing that he tells me, that he wants us to know, I want to take a, a slap at Calvinism right now because it is so unbiblical. <laughs> the Lord is not slack concerning his promise some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance so much for Calvinism because that tells me that God did not predestinate one of you to spend eternity in hell you know that's one of the five points of Calvinism predestination in Calvinism you're predestinated to go to heaven or you're predestinated to go to hell and you have no choice because God is sovereign is there argument well God is sovereign and um, yet the Bible clearly says the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, Whosoever. Do you know that you're a whosoever? That implies that you have choice. It implies you have free will. For God so loved the world whosoever, and that's you, I'm a whosoever. And that is implying that I do have a free will. But God wants you to know that He's not willing that any should perish. He says, I, I find no pleasure. In the judgment, he'll bring judgment because he is just. Another good place for an amen. He's holy, so therefore he has to be just also. He's a just, holy God. And if you don't repent and receive the free gift that you cannot earn, that you do not deserve, that he has given freely, and he wanted out, by the way. He said, Father, if there's any other way that you can save this world, except me going to that cross, and that's what I vote for. But he said, nevertheless, not my will be done. But, Father, what is your will? Well, it was Passover that day, and Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was fulfilling the Passover. And he went to the cross, and he provided what I like to call the great exchange, that he who knew no sin became sin for you and me, that we might receive the righteousness of God. Now that, my friends, is a good deal. He takes all my sin. And then on top of it, he gives me his righteousness. Now let me talk to the person if you ask them, are you going to heaven? And if you're going to heaven, how do you know you're going to heaven? And this idea that I'm a good person, that has to be dealt with first. You are not a good person. Say that out loud. (laughs) I am not a good person. Amen, you are not a good person. The rich young ruler. Lord, you're good. No, there's none that's good. Well, there's got to be some good in here somewhere. No, none. All my righteousness, Paul said, is like filthy rags. I mean, on your best day, you're filthy rags. And yet, he's willing if you'll do it his way. You either got to live a perfect life and never sin. And then when you go to heaven, you can say, move over. There's two of us now. Or you can be honest with what the Holy Spirit speaks to you every single day, where you grieve the Holy Spirit or you sin. And the Lord says that he's not willing, that he doesn't want you to perish. He just wants you to repent. He wants you to man up, woman up, and admit that you've fallen short of his standard, which happens to be perfection. But he made a way. And it was a gift that, Neither neither of us deserve, and we can't earn it. A gift is a gift. Good place for an amen. I like what Paul says. If it's works, then it's works. If it's grace, then it's grace. But you can't have both. You can either have your works, or you could have grace. I'll take grace. Grace for me, Lord, please. Please don't give me what I deserve. Don't want that. It was all taken out on the cross. But you have to... Acknowledge your sin, and you got to be honest about it. And God knows, you know, these eyes. I think about the eyes all over the cherubim. We call it the omnipotence, all powerful, omniscient, all knowing. And it's demonstrated, I think, in my guess, the Lord will show us someday, with these cherubim with their eyes. What's that all about? All over them, inside and out, in the wheels, inside and out. The all knowing, the all seeing God. He knows everything that you've ever done. So turn with me to the book of Ephesians. There's one thing that, if I would put an explanation point on what the Lord really wants you to to know about the way he thinks about you and feels about you. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. He really does love you, even though we're not lovable. He really does love you, and he wants you to know that. So the last thought with number two is, what does he want to communicate through Ezekiel to the people? Go speak to him, Ezekiel. I want to talk to my people. I want them to know this. And for the church, picking it up in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in what? in love. Not in theology, but in love. That we might be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, but to know the love of Christ which passes any knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what God wants you to know. He wants you to know this love that he has for you. Alright, let's go on to number three. How's he going to accomplish this, how is he going to communicate this to the people? And the answer is, I'm going to have you work your way over to um, um, Ephesians chapter 4. So why don't you go there, but I'm just going to read one verse back in Ezekiel. How is he going to accomplish this? Well, let me read chapter 2, the first three verses. After the vision in chapter 1, it says in Verse 1 of chapter 2, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I'll speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he had spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel. They're a rebellious nation uh, that has rebelled against me. uh, And their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. They're stubborn. They're hard-hearted. And but I'm sending you. So how will he accomplish his purpose? If you're in Ephesians, yeah, Ephesians chapter 4. I should have this marked. Here it is. Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, this week, the Lord is going to bump you into somebody who's not born again, who's... Um, have, has not had their sins forgiven, and it's going to be a divine appointment. And when the the Bible talks about being instant, in-season, and out-of-season, you actually know what that means? That means that we're to be flexible, and the Lord has permission to interrupt your schedule. Are you with me? The Lord has permission. When you sense something's coming down with the Lord, that you're you're able to switch gears just like that and go, Okay, Lord, I'm I'm heads up, antennas up. <laughs> and what's going on here? Because I have an opportunity. Now, how you proceed next depends how much you know in this book. He wants to draw from you, he wants to use you, but he will honor his word, and his word will never return void. My opinion My speculations will always return void, but this book will never return void. So now you find yourself getting equipped. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4. So read it in verse 9. When he ascended, that's when Jesus went to heaven, what does it mean that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Well, what does that mean? Well, I have a little bit more time in second service, so... I didn't do this in the first. But for three days and three nights, he was in the heart of the earth. And he set the captives free. That was prophesied. And then he took the keys in Revelation, where it says, I have the keys here to hell and death. Well, where did he get the keys of hell? In hell. He took them. He, he now has them for his own. And he who descended is also the one who ascended, above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. In John 14, Jesus said, it's absolutely necessary that I go home, because if I don't go to heaven, then I can't send the Comforter or the Holy Spirit back. So that's in verse 11. When he fills all things, then he himself will give some to be apostles. Well, that means that when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to give gifts to people so that the body of Christ could be better equipped to do the work of ministry. Let's read it. And he himself gave some to be apostles. I personally believe the the apostles were eyewitnesses, and to be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness. Um, So I don't believe uh, that particular one is around anymore because I believe he had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. However, prophets, evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. I think if you're a pastor, you have to have the gift of teaching. It has to go along with it. Primarily what we do at Calvary is we don't preach because we're here to teach. Let's read the rest of it. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So here you are taking in a Sunday morning. We're talking about the throne of God. We're talking about our God being just and that he wants to use human instruments to get his message out. Now, if I'm God, I'm saying, why don't you pick one of these cherubim? They would make a big impression. They, they would take one look at this creature and they would believe that you are. Instead, he takes Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he puts his spirit in that person, and then he uses that person to build up another person's faith. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians 14 says. So, we come to church, study God's word, we leave a little bit more informed, a little bit more equipped to do what? To do the work of ministry. You know what your ministry is? Whatever... God's word says, where, wherever you were when you got saved, remain. What does that mean, remain? It means if there's a calling on your life to go into ministry, to go to Africa, my good friend Pat's on his way back to Africa, this where his heart's at now. But God called him to go to Africa. And a lot of people feel real guilty. Oh, maybe I should be in Haiti or maybe I should be in Africa. And they have this guilt complex. No, unless the Lord says, Haiti, <laughs> or... Africa, then my Bible says remain where you are, bloom where you're planted, minister to that those people that are in your spirit of influence. How many friends that you have that, that still aren't saved? Those are the ones he wants you to work with, but you have to be equipped to do it. Good place for an amen. Got to be equipped to do it. All right, let's go back look at our last point this morning, and that is what is the response... Number four, of one who sees, number four, the result of seeing the true and living God. Turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six. Switch a couple things around here from the first study. Isaiah chapter six, what is going to be the result of having an encounter with the true and living God. Well, what happened to Ezekiel? Well, he fell on his face. And um, twice, once in chapter 1, verse 28, he fell on his face. In chapter 3, verse 32, he falls on his face. John on the island of Patmos sees Jesus, he falls on his face. Stephen, when they were stoning him, he was ready to die. And it says that he saw the heavens open and he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, look up. And I had to stop right there and I wondered if anybody did. Did anybody look up? My second thought is, did they see anything if they did look up? Stephen said that he saw the Lord standing at the right hand of God And they stoned Stephen as he was calling out on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, don't charge him with this sin. And he went to sleep. Stephen went to heaven. By the way, the only time in the Bible where Jesus is standing at the right hand of God, what does it always say? That he was sitting at the right hand of God. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. He's always sitting. Something exciting happened when Stephen died. Stephen, I'm your cheering section. Come on home. And Stephen said, Lord, don't, they don't know what they're doing by, by killing me here today. But he, he, he told them, he cried out. He said, look. And I just wonder if they did or if they didn't. In Isaiah chapter 6, if you're there, By nature, we're selfish. By nature, we're proud. Our own nature is self-serving and self-seeking. And um, I I believe that uh, humility cannot be mustered up. You're either a humble person or you're an arrogant person. And I believe only true humility can come as a result of something That you encounter. Let's read chapter six. It'll speak for itself. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a throne. It was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. And with two, he covered his face, with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And he's seeing all this, and he becomes undone, because he says, Woe is me. I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live with a bunch of unclean people with unclean lips, sometimes saying things we should never say. No sooner out, you want to bring it back, and you can't, it's already out there. And we become painfully aware of the Lord's presence. I'll tell you the first thing that went for me when I was born again. I could cuss the wallpaper off the side of a wall pretty easily. It was just part of my nature to swear. And I had every four-letter letter were down pretty well and could throw them out at any time and then I got saved and this was the first thing that went because I used to take the name of the Lord in vain I'd said Jesus and and not in a way of worship but when I got saved and I got upset and I hit my thumb with a hammer I go Jesus that's all the farther I would go, because I was convicted. That Jesus was now living inside of me, and I have no right taking that precious name and hurling it in a derogatory way or form. Amen? We praise the Lord. That's, I remember the first time, I'm waiting for my first time to say praise the Lord, because people are doing it. I think, where, where's going to be my first spot? And I remember, it was with a group, and I said, well, praise the Lord. I said it. (laughs) And so now instead of taking his name, now it's a name above all names, who's worthy to be praised. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Doesn't matter what you believe, now it's going to happen anyway to everybody. Whether he's your savior or whether he's your judge, he's going to judge the quick and the dead. And he's either going to be your savior or he's going to be your judge. So now, I don't believe you can be born again and use the name of the Lord in vain. I don't. That, that, that's got to go. It's just one of those things like, well, what do you do, church? Uh, well, don't commit fornication and don't drink blood. Well, good. I wasn't thinking about drinking any blood today anyway. <laughs> so that's... The, the guidelines, and um, there, that's how it's laid out for us. So Isaiah um, saw the Lord, and what happened was he became a humble man because he was in, ho- in the presence of holiness. So my Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, what does that mean? It means that you're actually conscious of God walking with you. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill what's the rest of it? The lust of the flesh. And there, there will come a humility to you. It's not because of you. It's because you're conscious of him who's holy. And it's a humbling thing to be in his presence. Ask Peter. You know, fishing one day, his last big fishing trip. And the Lord gave a Bible study and said, let's go fishing, Peter. He says, Lord, I've been out there all night. Trust me, they're not biting. But at your word, we'll go anyways. So they went fishing. They threw out the nets, and it was the biggest haul that they had ever caught. Their boat began to sink. And Peter looked at Jesus, and he got humble. And he said, Lord, depart from me, because I'm an unclean man, and I'm in the presence of God, and I know it. And he was broken, and Peter knew that he was in the Lord's presence. Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 5. We'll wind this up this morning. Revelation 5, we already read all of chapter 4. I'll close with this thought. Wouldn't it be awesome to see what we just read in Ezekiel? I mean, for real. To see these four living creatures. You know, they exist right now. God could open heaven right now, just like he showed Ezekiel, just like he showed Stephen, just like he showed John. He could do that. But he probably won't. But he might. (laughs) But having said that, I want you to know that you're going to meet these four cherubim someday. You're going to be in the same room with these cherubim someday. That's what Revelation 5 is all about. You see, I believe the rapture took place in Revelation 4, verse 1. John is taken to heaven. Well, it's interesting that the church is in heaven, too, at this time in chapter 5. And you say, Dwight, where do you see that? Well, if you look at verse 9 of chapter 5. There's this people singing this song that only the church can sing. Angels can't sing it. Cherubim can't sing it. Only saved sinners can sing it. So in verse 9, they're singing a new song. Here are the words. We'll learn the chorus later. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God By your blood, out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, future tense, and we shall reign on the earth. Well, they're in heaven right now. The tribulation, we got to go through from 6 to 18. But after the tribulation is over, the Lord sets up his kingdom. What are you going to be doing? Some people think, oh, heaven, who wants to float around in some cloud and play a harp and see these Michelangelo fat little cherubims? Gang, that's not what it's about. You're going to have responsibility. That's why he told the parable of the stewards. If He said, if you're faithful, just in a little bit right now, just a little. Just be faithful. Hang in there. Keep, keep going. When my time comes and I set up my kingdom, I'll notice that, that guy over there, he was faithful in little things. I can trust him. So now I'm going to have him be over much. Here, we're told we're going to reign as kings and priests. When? Well, we know what we're going to be doing for the first thousand years. Evidently, we have administrative roles in the kingdom. That's what a king and a priest does. They interact with the Lord, and we will reign and rule with him. Clear enough? Clear enough. Then he says in verse 11, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, that would be the zoah, the cherubim, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's like 100 million angels that are around the throne. And boy, this has got to make a noise. They're all saying at the same time, million, millions of angels, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, what they say? amen and the 24 elders fell down what does that tell me well we're in the room with these guys will you ever see this would you like to see what Ezekiel saw oh yeah and you're going to see my favorite verse in the Bible Revelation 22:4. 4 and they shall see his face there was a gal named Marge Schneider and I'll close with a quote from her she wrote a song once Lord of Glory And in the song is this lyric. She says, I don't want to see angels. I don't want to see angels. I just want to know you, Lord, like I should. I thought it was a great line. I don't want to see angels. And when we look and consider the four cherubim, yeah, it's going to be awesome to see these incredible creatures that all they do for all eternity is declare the holiness of God. Well, that'll be pretty awesome to see them. But it pales in comparison to know that the Bible says God is love and that he actually has a face. You ever wonder what the face of love looks like? I know that we can't have these bodies and behold him. We have to have new ones. And here in Revelation 5, they've been given new ones and they're with the Lord on the throne And we'll close it with what the four living creatures said, which was, (laughs) Amen. Let's stand as we kick off the book of Ezekiel. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, how inadequate I feel as we try to describe this chapter. And yet you told us, eyes have not seen, neither has ear heard the things that you've prepared for those that love you. So we don't fully grasp, Lord, all that you have for us now. But by faith, Lord, we're being equipped a little bit more every day as we get into your word and we see that it's really about your kingdom and not about ours. So, Lord, we pray as your word tells us to to seek first your kingdom and where our heart is, that is where our treasure will be also. So, Lord, we give you our heart. And we look forward to seeing you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.